Welcome. You're listening to The Drive Podcast, a ministry of First Baptist Orlando. In our current series, we are walking through the letter of Philippians as the Apostle Paul writes to encourage the people of Philippi to live out their faith with joy and in unity. Let's listen in and see what God has in store for us. We all have a desire to know stuff, right? Like, let me get at it, let me get at it like this. Of all, uh, of all of the people in the room, I wonder how much money has been paid or at least how much money is owed to institutions of higher learning. Like, <laughs> hey, 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 don't be throwing your business all out in the streets. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure that everybody who could raise a hand and went to college at some point in time and racked up some debt, we don't want to keep a tally. It's just depressing, right? Um, but for those of us who spend any time at college for it, any amount of time, at least for some brief moments of clarity, while you were there, you stuffed your head with information, right? We, we, we wanted to, well, we were forced to know and to learn in some respects. But we live in a, we live in a world and we exist in a culture uh, where people want to know, they crave information. Everybody wants to know stuff and gain knowledge. We used to rock newspapers to get our information uh, back in the day and now we scroll our Twitter feed or our Facebook pages and uh, it's, it's, it's this uncanny desire and ability to get knowledge and immediately and for all the negative things one can say about social media and how quickly it disseminates information if it's, if it's used effectively and wisely it is, it is a great tool uh, to communicate um, like for example uh, if it wasn't for my Facebook page, I would not know that there is a hurricane coming, and I probably would have ended up at the pool with my daughter later this week, like, when is this afternoon shower going to pass? And so social media is helpful and helps us to, to gain knowledge and to know stuff. People want to be in the know, which raises a profound question, what should we know? Right? Like, what should we pursue? What avenues of knowledge should we uh, entice or run towards? Uh, what periodicals should we read? What magazines? What voices should we listen to to inform us on things? Um, in our passage tonight, Philippians chapter 3, uh, we're still in Philippians. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. If not, verses will be up on the screen. But in our passage tonight, Paul answers this question a bit differently than maybe you or I might, or at least differently than many of the modern minds of today. Because for the Apostle Paul, knowledge wasn't as much about the what, but it was about the who, right? For Paul, in Philippians 3 verse 10, just that first part of the verse, he says, I want to know Christ, that I may know him. To know him, not a what, but a who. Now, here's the thing, though, about the Apostle Paul. If you're not familiar with his story and with his life, this was a dude who had compiled lots and lots of knowledge, okay? He had lots of lots of information in his brain. He had attained a lot of the what. If you were here a couple of weeks ago when we were in Philippians 3, you saw some of this. In Philippians 3, like the first uh, eight or nine verses, Paul compiles this list 
of all of the stuff he knew, all of the things he had accomplished, all of the impressive credentials and the pedigree that he had. Basically, it was this this trophy wall of all of the things that made Paul successful in the world in which he lived, that that gave him significance and value in the in the Jewish world in which he existed and and gave him significance in the eyes of his contemporaries. And yet here in Paul, in chapter 3, verse 10, Paul says, but all of those things, the things that I knew, the things that I gained, all of those things, I, I count them as rubbish, as garbage, as trash, compared to this surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ. And so Paul had lots of knowledge, lots of information. Like today, if he was alive, if he made a public statement or if he tweeted something, people wouldn't roll their eyes at it, but they would, they would give him their attention. They would bend their ear in his direction. People wanted to know what Paul had to say, which means that he could draw a crowd. And he did, often. And usually the people that were drawn to him and followed his leadership within the ranks of Judaism in which he lived, I mean, they did so because he was competent and because of his credentials. The guy amassed a tremendous amount of knowledge. But for Paul, as we see tonight, there was a difference between knowing facts and knowing a person. See, Paul knew about Jesus, but he didn't know Jesus. He knew about him. He knew what he represented He knew that Jesus was a break from the traditional rabbinic teaching of the day. He knew about Jesus's fame and his earthly ministry that had spread in and around the region. He knew about Jesus's followers by seeing how they responded and how they forsook everything else and and rejected their Jewish faith and followed after Jesus, who they thought was the Messiah, according to the apostle Paul. He knew about Jesus. He didn't know Jesus. It was, it was kind of like when I first met my wife, when I was getting to know things about Sarah Elizabeth Trinkle on my way to eventually knowing who she was. And I'm, I'm so glad that we didn't hang out in that knowing about phase um, because that's where, that's where it almost didn't get started for us. So bear with me. I, I want to share a little bit of this story. And I never tell stories. Uh, and so I'm going to tell like a really long one. So no, I'm just playing. Not a really long one. I was in youth ministry, um, living the dream, which really meant I lived, I slept, I ate middle school and high school life. That's just what I did. I always smelled like a middle schooler. It was ridiculous. And my, my, my eventual wife, they smell great. It's just, it's, it's an acquired smell. And so Sarah Beth had graduated college in Jacksonville at UNF, and she hung around for a couple of years doing work, and then she moved back to Sebring to kind of regroup and figure out what was next in life. And so she ran into this guy named JJ, in which he, she used to, grew up new and went to church with, and, and JJ said to her, hey, I'm so glad you're back in town, Sarah Beth. Uh, would you be interested in meeting our, our new youth pastor? And she's like, uh, thanks, but no thanks, peace. It was good to see you. And she left. And so JJ called me immediately, who was one of my youth leaders, and said, hey, dude, I, uh, I just met your future wife. And I'm like, oh, yeah? Tell me more. Uh, and so like any self-respecting bachelor, I, I, I did what any of you dudes would do. I, uh, I spaced her. <laughs> <clears throat> 
And I mean, she was gorgeous. She had a college degree. She was a pastor's kid. I had to manage my emotions because I'm like, there is no way that she would holler at me. Holler at me. We still say that vernacular? No? No? Okay. (laughs) My bad. Bump that. Bump that? No? No one? Okay. Anyway. Sorry. Um, The... Yeah. Oh, my bad. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. Facebook wasn't out yet. Or if it was, I don't know. I just, I, I didn't go to college. Uh, I'm finally going to college. Anyways. So s- problem is Sarah Beth was also MySpacing me at the time. And um, that's, uh, that's where it almost ended. Uh, it wasn't my fault. It was MySpace's fault. There was this picture, there was this picture on MySpace and I don't really remember taking it. Alcohol was not involved. And um, my, I was at my brother's house, uh, and he's, he's in the military, and he has lots of guns, and he drives a big truck, and he loves the country, uh, our country, not the country. And so here, here's the picture. I'm, it's still out there somewhere on the interwebs. I, I haven't been able to find it, so if you find it, I will buy you an overpriced cup of coffee. Uh, but I, I'm sitting like this, and I've got a Bible in my hand. And my head's down, my eyes are closed. <laughs> and there is an American flag draped over my shoulders. And, and the caption said, God and country, nuff said. Nuff, like N-U-F-F. Like ridiculous stuff, okay? I have no idea why I did that picture. I think I was trying to be friends with my brother. And, and he's like, hey, let me take a picture of you and hold your Bible. And so that was her first impression of me. Now, that picture was bad enough, but the other pictures were like back when I had all my baggy gear on, like baggy clothes and, and Timberland boots and big gold chain and a cross, and I had my, my fake grill. I didn't have a grill, but to her, it looked like I had one. And so for whatever reason, what happened? Uh, you got jokes, huh? Yeah, huh? you can't come back. She, she still came around, though. A couple of weeks later, she came to church, and then she saw me. And it was, like, it was lights out. It was over. You know, love at first. It wasn't like that, but she's not here, and so you have to take my word for it. Um, you ever seen Rapunzel? Disney movie, Rapunzel? You remember, dude, he has a smolder? Um, I don't have a smolder, but I smiled at her, and she smiled back, and, and we got to talking, and I asked her to go on a date, and it was a first date fail. Uh, dudes, do not invite a first date to a church softball game. Um, we got decimated. And so her first impression was my space. Second impression was I suck at sports. And so I thought there is no way that this girl is going to want to hang out with me. And yet I still got the digits. Uh, and, and I texted and I called and we started dating and I started to get to know more and more about her, right? What are her likes? What are her dislikes? What are her passions? What does she like to eat? What movies, what music? I wanted to get to know as much about her as, as I could, and um, she got to know more about me. Uh, she got to know that uh, lame photo ops, uh, baggy clothes, and, and a lack of athleticism wasn't all there was to me either. And so after six months, I proposed. I wasn't interested in dating. I wasn't interested in being single. Um, if she knew how jacked up I was, she, she has said this many times, I would have waited and made you fix a bunch of stuff. Uh, but anyways, God's will for our life became I do. Uh, and after we got married, we continued to get to know each other. It's just in, you know, a more concerted effort. And now I, I just, I know her. You know, going on being married for a decade, I, I, I know her. I know, I know her looks and her size. I know which cries I need to address. Uh, I know when I need to stop trying to fix something, though I, I still don't do that. 
Uh, I know that she'd rather have a salad than a burger. I know how she likes her coffee and that I'm not allowed to try to do it because I screw it up every time. I, I, I know these things about her, but I also know her because I've taken the time. And this, this knowledge, it, it was intimate and it was intentional and it took hard work to get to know one another. And now, by the grace of God, we get to know one another, you know, until death do us part. Now back to Paul. This guy knew lots and lots of stuff, okay? He had an intimate knowledge of religion, right? For decades, he'd been doing all the right things. He'd been, he'd been saying all the right things. He'd been living within the appropriate boundaries of behavior. He knew religion. He knew Judaism. He did not know Jesus. He only knew about Jesus. And then one day he got to know Jesus. And you may be familiar with the story. Acts chapter 9 tells us Paul, he went by his Jewish name, Saul. He's on the way to Damascus and he's going to drag Christians back to Jerusalem uh, because he was convinced that they were traitors and blasphemers and they, they were worthy of death. And so Saul was the Osama bin Laden of his day and he was stamping out infidels to what he believed was the glory of his God. And then he met Jesus. So this blinding light flashed before him on the road to Damascus and he falls to his knees and he's blinded. And this figure who we know is Jesus, this figure says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And because Saul knew religion and not Jesus, he's like, who, who are you? And Jesus says, I am Jesus. I am the one you're persecuting. Now, here's why this encounter absolutely changed everything for Paul. And Paul had never met Jesus. Paul had never personally persecuted Jesus. And yet here was the crucified, risen Jesus Christ telling Paul that what you're doing to my people, what you're doing to my followers, you're actually doing to me. Jesus, the Messiah, the promised one of Israel was so identifying with his followers that what they experienced, he experienced. And it would be this identification that Jesus made with his followers that would radically shape Paul's theology and how he related to God and who he saw Jesus to be. Because now Jesus, for Paul, wasn't this phony Messiah. He wasn't this fraudulent prophet or this false teacher. He was, he was the true God who was so in union with his followers and so in intimate relationship with his disciples that they lived by his life and Jesus lived by their life. It's why Paul would coin the term in Christ, in him, in the beloved some 200 times in the New Testament scriptures. Now, why is this important? A distinction between knowing about something and knowing something. You know, what's the big deal if I know Jesus personally as opposed to knowing about him, just knowing the facts? Because the truth is, if Jesus is who he says he is, and he did what he says he did, then he really is the wellspring, right? The source and the origin of all true knowledge and truth. And scripture is replete with passages that talk about Jesus being the agent of creation, the one who created all things, the one who in everything exists and is held together, the very purpose and the end line for creation. Paul writes in Colossians in this poetic verse, he writes in Colossians 1.16, it'll be on the screen. He says, for by him, Jesus, all things were created. Jesus, the agent of creation, both in heavens and on earth, invisible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority, all things have been created through Jesus and for him. He's before all things and in him, all things hold together. 
So we're talking about this lofty, lofty view of who Jesus is here. All creation, and we are created beings. You did not come from pond scum, and we can talk about that later if you want to. But as created beings, we all came from Jesus and by Jesus and for Jesus. And so if we are created for him, then true purpose and significance and truth and knowledge is found in him, in a relationship with him, in knowing Jesus, not just knowing about him. Listen, it matters what you know, just some, but it matters more who you know. And that's Paul's point here. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 10 He's just made a compelling argument for why knowing Jesus is more important than anything else in his life. And this dude has been walking with Jesus for 30 years. And yet after 30 years, he still says there's more to know. And so he cries out in Philippians 3.10. He says that I may know him. 30 years from this first encounter. He says that I might know him. Not a principle, not a, not a proposition, not a doctrinal statement or a program. I want to know a person. And so what does it mean to know Christ, not just know about him? Let's take him out of a creed. Let's take him out of a stained glass window. Let's take him off of a cross or out of a book. And let's, let's deal with Jesus as he is, a real person. What does it mean to know Christ? And for Paul, it meant something very specific and something very concrete. Look at verse 10 there. It says that I might know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Unfortunately, we only have time to talk about one of these P's tonight. I married an English major. She'd be very proud of my alliteration because there is power here. There is a participation here and there is a pattern here that we need to know about if we're going to know Christ. There is a power of the resurrection. There is a participation in the fellowship of the sufferings. And there is a pattern that comes from being conformed to the type of dying that Jesus did. And for Paul, knowing Christ meant these things. And it meant all of these things. You do get that, right? Relationship isn't a la carte. We don't pick and choose the different relational aspects of Jesus we want and then ignore the rest of those. That is, that is fashioning a God in our own making. That's what our culture does. Our culture picks the parts of Jesus that they like. You're not going to hear prosperity gospel preachers talk about, you, you want to know Christ and you need to know the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. And so knowing Christ meant being intimately acquainted with these three dynamics of Jesus's life and his death and his resurrection, power, participation, and pattern. I, I challenge you to check those other two and just kind of meditate on what it means to be a part of the fellowship of his sufferings and being conformed to his death. Tonight, I just, I just wanna talk about the power of his resurrection. And so let's talk about one of these ways. Knowing Christ means knowing the power of his resurrection. See, for Paul, the resurrection wasn't just a past event in history, right? It wasn't just something that happened to Jesus, but it was a dynamic power that was to be operational in the life of those who would confess Jesus as Lord and Savior. But before we talk about the power associated with the resurrection, let's just talk about the resurrection. What, what is the significance of the resurrection for Christianity as a whole? Anybody? Look, I know there are some theologians out there. I won't call you out, though. We have 
we have hope. Okay. Death is not the end. Death is not the final answer. And so there is a, there is a present tense hopefulness because of the resurrection. Okay, what else? I'm sorry, a future tense, not a present tense, but a future tense hopefulness. But what else? What else does the resurrection represent? What is its significance to Christianity as a whole? We know, I already talked about how it birthed the church and empowered them and allowed the Holy Spirit to eventually come and for the church to be birthed. But what, what else? Okay, yeah, we'll be able to live with him in future glory. Does it have any present tense significance? Yeah, he's alive. He's alive. Holy Spirit, absolutely. Absolutely, the Holy Spirit comes because he is alive. Victory. Victory over what? Okay, okay. Victory over sin. Victory over death. Absolutely. Guys, the resurrection was God's stamp of approval, ultimately, on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. It was God's yes to Jesus' offering, saying, yes, your righteousness satisfies the debt of sin against humanity. And, and the reason that God could say my righteousness is met because it was his own righteousness that was on the cross in the person of Jesus Christ. You get that, right? None of us could meet the standard that God's holiness and righteous judgment required. And that's why Jesus came and lived a perfect life and died a sinner's death because only he could do it. That's the beautiful part of the gospel. You can't live this life and you can't die this death and satisfy God's justice and his wrath. But Jesus can and he did. And so when God raised him from the dead, it was God's stamp of approval where it was paid in full. That Jesus' death was satisfactory, but he's also alive. And he also has victory over sin and over death. That's the powerful truth that Romans 6 teaches us. Must read material for every Christian. If you haven't read Romans 6, go and start memorizing it. Because there in Romans 6, Paul writes to us in as animated as language as he could write that sin no longer has any power over us. I know, it's kind of hard to believe. Like if I asked you to raise your hand if you believe that you're dead to sin, you would there would be a tension to want to raise your hand because it doesn't feel like we are dead to sin. And yet Jesus' death on a cross and his resurrection was his victory over both the penalty of sin, which means judiciously we stand before God as holy and righteous because of his righteousness, Jesus is, but also because also the power of sin has been broken over our lives. We're no longer slaves to sin even though it sometimes feels like we are. And so Paul says in Philippians 3.10, I want to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection. So what is this power? What does the power of the resurrection mean? What does it represent for us as Christians? What do you think? Oh, good. This means I get to tell you. It means that we have the very same power that raised Jesus from the dead coursing through our veins, giving us an inexhaustible supply of the life and power of God to overcome sin, to overcome temptations, and to learn how to be an accurate expression of the very life and nature of Jesus Christ. I'm convinced that while I'm not perfect, I don't need to sin anymore. I will, probably because I don't believe the truth of Romans chapter 6. 
And because there is still something called indwelling sin that's in my members and it's constantly at war and trying to get me to get my needs met apart from Jesus Christ. But sin's not our problem anymore because Jesus died on the cross. Our problem is ourself, our self-consciousness, and our lack of believing that because of the resurrection power that lives inside of us, we have options that we didn't have before. And Paul says, man, I want to know this resurrecting power. And Romans 6 is really clear why and how this could happen. In Romans 6, Paul essentially says, listen, what Jesus did and experienced on the cross, you experienced on the cross too. Romans 6, 3 through 10. When Jesus died on the cross, you died on the cross. When Jesus was buried in the tomb, you were buried with him in the tomb. And when Jesus was raised to walk in newness of life, you were raised to walk in newness of life as well. This takes a posture of faith to believe this. Some people think that this is pushed off to the future and that one day, one day I'm going to be resurrected and I'm going to have a glorified body. And yet, Romans 6 is really clear. Jesus was raised from the dead to walk in newness of life. And for those of us who have confessed faith in him, we also have been raised to walk in newness of life. I've I've said this to you guys before. Each and every one of us showed up on planet earth dead in our sins and trespasses. If we follow our family line back far enough, then we're going to find that we are of the progenity of Adam and Eve. And because of their rebellion and because of their disobedience and independence in the garden, we inherited their spiritual DNA which means we showed up dead. Our hearts were dead. We did not want anything to do with God. And we had a predisposition, a sinful nature that was bent towards independence. And we were so jacked up that God couldn't help us. God wasn't interested in trying to fix the broken us. He had to crucify us. And that's what Romans 6 teaches that we were put on the cross with Christ and that when Jesus died, our sinful, helpless, hopeless Adam life was crucified with him. And when Jesus was brought up from the grave, we were raised to walk in newness of life. And so I'm convinced through my my study and exegesis of the passage that what we used to have a sinful nature, a nature and a disposition at the core of who we are that was only bent towards sinful independence, that that was crucified on the cross. And when we were raised to walk in newness of life, we received a new nature, a divine nature, a godly nature, the very nature of God, the Father, God, the Son, and God, the Spirit. And Paul gets into it in Romans 7. He says, listen, you're not completely done with sin, though. Sin that used to be a nature inside of you that drove everything that you did, it's still lodged in your flesh. And I don't, I don't know what that means. I think what it means is this power or at least this presence and pull of sin inside of us consistently battles against the spirit of God in us, getting us to try to follow those, those habit patterns of thinking and feeling of how we used to get our needs met apart from Christ. I think that's what it means for flesh and for sin to be in our flesh. But what I do know is this, we're dead to the power and to the penalty of sin. And we were raised to walk in newness of life. And Paul says, man, this is the power that I want to know. The power that says, I don't need to get my needs met anymore apart from Christ. I don't need to walk in this habit pattern of sinful thinking and feeling. I have a power that is available to me now that I didn't have before. This word power is the same word that Paul uses in Romans 1.16. When he says that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to those who believe. That word power is the word dunamis. It's where we get our English word dynamite, which makes you think it's an explosive kind of power, but that's not what the word means. 
Better yet, it means that it is able to withstand and break through any opposition. And so the idea is there is a power that dwells inside of us that is consistently looking to break through any obstacles of expressing the life of Jesus and any temptations and offers of darkness that are trying to set themselves up in our minds and in our lives that are contrary to who we are in Christ. And Paul says, man, I want to know Jesus and I want to know this power of his resurrection that allows me to overcome sin and temptation and to walk in an expression of the life of Christ. Paul says, man, I want to know this power. And it's at the cross where we get this death and where we get this resurrection. It's where we were crucified and raised to new life in Christ. That's why we champion a believer's baptism. It's why we want you guys, if you have ever confessed Christ, to follow in the baptism of getting dunked in water and pulled back up. It does nothing for your salvation. But what it does is it says, I get it. I understand this identification that as Jesus went down into the grave and came back up out of the grave, I go down into the water signifying that I am dead to sin and my old life is gone and I was raised to walk in newness of life and that I understand and I identify. Romans 6 says that we were baptized into Christ. You know what that word means in the Greek? It means to be plunged into something. It means to be immersed When Paul talks about baptism in Romans 6, he's not talking about water. He's talking about you were immersed into Jesus Christ. And so what happened on the cross happened to you. I know that that's hard to wrap your mind around, but it's the same faith that you believe that Jesus died for your sins. It's a posture of faith that says you're dead to sin, even though you don't feel it. And when we do commerce with this truth and when we meditate on this and when we come to grips with the fact that, oh my goodness, Jesus, your power lives inside of me and that I have a supply and a source of power that I don't need to move in this direction to get my needs met apart from Jesus anymore. Whatever the sin is, whatever the habit pattern is, we don't need to move in that direction anymore. Do you, do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus died and rose again and now lives inside of you and is equipping you to walk out holiness and purity? I know it's hard to say, yeah, I believe that because some of you guys have been so entrenched in sinful patterns of thinking and feeling and acting for so long. But the good news of the gospel is that you are free from your slavery to sin free from your slavery to anger, free from your slavery to destructive thought patterns, free from your slavery to fear, free from your slavery of abusing your own body, free from the slavery of fill in the blank. But it's only when you come to know Christ, know him, not know about him, but know him in the power of his resurrection. And so the power of this resurrection, it is a power for the past, right? All of our sins got forgiven at the cross. It is a power for the present. Jesus Christ, his spirit, his power lives and dwells inside of us right now. And it equips us to walk out holiness and purity moment by moment, trusting Jesus to express his life in us. And like you said, it is a, it is a power for the future, a hopefulness that this is not the end, that death is not the answer, death has lost its sting, and God the Father is coming back one day to remake and refashion this world and make everything sad come untrue. And there's a power that we have to tap into, and it takes a discipline, and it takes a community to remind one another that you are not, that your performance doesn't determine your identity anymore. Your birth does. 
And your new birth in Christ says you are dead to sin and you are alive to God in righteousness. Now start living like it. And you start believing that truth and you start memorizing and reminding it and hearing it from your brothers and sisters so that when the enemy drops an offer of darkness in front of you and it's a habit pattern that you have done all of your life to get your needs met, man, Jesus whispers into your ear. The Holy Spirit speaks to your spirit and says you're dead to that. You are dead to that. You're dead to that and you are alive to me. Now trust me to be your needs met in this moment. And the more we begin to believe and walk in the Holy Spirit, the less and less the slavery and the bondage of those things have a grip on us. That's the power of the resurrection for here, for now. I've experienced some pretty hard and uncomfortable things in my life, and I've talked with some of you guys. I know that you guys have too. The reason I wasn't here last week is we had one of the worst weeks in a while. We lost a loved one, and then we because of that, spent a couple of days with loved ones who have basically departed Jesus and abandoned their faith journey. And that was so overwhelming and exhausting. And then we had probably our, our most difficult and discouraging experience with our adoption journey. And my wife and I just wanted to crawl under the covers. And we did for a couple of days. And we finally came back out. And, and, and we could come back out because we know Jesus, not because we know about him, but, but we know him and the power of his resurrection that says my feelings aren't always accurate indicators of reality and I have the life of Christ that dwells within me and so by his power, we're able to walk step by step and get through another day and get through another week because we've been joined to the life of Christ And so here's what I want to leave you guys with tonight before we kind of have a little bit of discussion around the table. Knowing Christ is knowing this power, okay? Knowing about Christ does nothing to fortify you against the very real troubles and trials and pain that is promised in a world that has fallen and broken. Knowing about Christ does nothing to keep you from toppling over. But knowing Christ... And having your roots grown deep into his grace and experiencing the power of his resurrection that continues to bring life when you feel like there is no life, that is what keeps you from wanting to throw in the towel. That in community, with and among one another. What you know matters some, but who you know matters more. And so here's what I want you to do. Uh, I want you to pull out your phone And then I want you to text that to yourself. And then I want you to ignore the text. And it's going to be screaming at you all week to erase it. But I want it to stay there to remind you that it's a a who. It's not a what. It's a who. And it's Jesus. And if you confess faith in him and you belong to him, then he has taken permanent residence inside of you and you have been joined to his life and you have everything you need to overcome every obstacle that comes at you. And so I wanna champion, continue to know, continue to learn, continue to grow, but man, don't ever, don't ever forget that, that Christianity is about a person, not a proposition. It's about a person not a doctrinal framework. 
We love the word of God here. We stand on it as inerrant and infallible and true. And yet we worship the living word, Jesus Christ, who has come to live inside of us and to bring everything to remembrance in our time of need. Thanks for listening to this podcast. We would love to see you on Tuesday night, 7 p.m. in the Student Center at First Baptist Orlando. You can check us out on Facebook. It is the easiest way to get in touch with us and find out what is going on in our ministry.